Amen. Well, good morning. Are you glad? Boy, this is a good crowd today. Are you glad to be here? Amen. We are glad that you are here. Amen and amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Well, you know, it was what? Just a couple of weeks ago that Judy and I went to Washington, D.C. And again, I was just amazed at the monuments and see all those things. And one of the things that we wanted to do was we wanted to go to the Bureau of Printing and Engraving. And that's where they make money. And so we did that. We finally found our way in. It's so funny because it wasn't well marked. You know, I wonder if that's intentional. I don't know. But anyway, so we were actually able to take a tour and go up and we'll look down on the printing presses. And the process of making money was explained to us. It was really kind of a cool deal. It really was. And explained how they have the special paper that comes in. And it's got the watermarks and the uh, security thread that go through it. That's the first line of defense for counterfeiting. They did that. And then they said how that they run it through the printer several times, adding all the different colors. Now, you and I, probably a lot of us, remember when money was green. Well, you do remember that, right? Well, now it's like multicolored stuff. You know, it's like a rainbow somewhere over the rainbow. And so it's kind of multicolored. So they run it through multiple times, and it comes in big old sheets, you know, like huge sheets of money. And so, so they run it through, and they get all these different colors on there, all right, allowing it for dry after each, each time it's printed. And then what they do is, after all of that, they take it, and they run it through the black glass. And that adds, I think it was like the portrait of the president, and it adds the seal, you know, the little seal that's on it. And most importantly, it adds the serial number, okay? And we were sitting there. Guys, you've got to imagine this. There were, y'all, don't, y'all know what a pallet is, don't you? Okay, a pallet show like, what, four feet by four feet maybe? You see them all the time with groceries and stuff on it. Well, there were several pallets sitting around, and there was a pallet there, and it's about this tall. And the guy said, see that pallet right there? He said, that's $30 million. $30 million. They pr- Hey, 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 hey. They print $300 million a day. $300 million. It ain't worth nothing, but they print it. Okay? It ain't worth nothing, they print it. But, but anyway, yeah, $30 million was just sitting there. Okay? So here's what's cool. So that's kind of like the last step, and they finally get it over there, and they start cutting it, and they put it in big old bricks. So it's, it's, you know, it, gets, it gets smaller, and then it gets bigger, and put together bigger, bigger, bigger. And they put it in bricks, okay? And then they saran wrap it, okay? And here's the deal. Here's something I did not know I thought was so cool, is that... You know, even though it was printed in the, in the printing and engraving by the United States government, even though the paper's authentic, the ink's authentic, the process is authentic, if you were to take those dollar bills or $20 bills or $100 bills at that point, just take them out of the building, all right, and go and spend them, they would be as counterfeit as one you printed on your office copier when your boss wasn't watching. How about that? I didn't know that. I thought they printed it, it was good. No, it's not, it's not authentic money. It doesn't become money until they have a special machine and it scans that barcode that lists all the serial numbers in that block of money. And when they, when they scan that barcode and those serial numbers are entered into the system, the money becomes monetized. And at that point, it becomes real money. Now, at that point, those pieces of paper gain power. And you can take that and use that to buy cars and houses. And just all, well, you know, it's money, okay? It's a tool and can be used. But it doesn't happen until the serial numbers are entered and becomes monetized. Now, then, then, if you've ever built a house, 
okay? And, and you'll have your electrician come in, and they go in, and they drill all these holes in two-by-fours and the four-by-sixes and the rafters and the four, uh, floor joists, and they do all that, and they run all this wire, okay? And they hook it up to a central panel, all right? And then they go back in, before they, before they do much further, they go in and start adding outlets to the wall. Sometimes they'll just bend the wire up for safety, but a lot of times they'll go ahead and add the outlets into the wall. But did you know what would happen if you plugged a toaster into one of those outlets at that point? Yeah, you'd have raw bread. You'd have plain bread. You know, it wouldn't toast anything because there was no power going to the outlet because the system had not been electrified. Now, when it's, when it's all wired in and they flip the main breaker, all of a sudden power goes to the different outlets and whatever you plug in there gains use of that power because the system is electrified. So money's not money until it's modified, modified, and then, I knew I'd get it wrong eventually, and then electro, electricity, a circuit, is not given power until it's electrified. Now, you know those two terms now, but have you ever heard the term gracified? Gracified. You see, you see, just like the money gains power when the serial numbers are registered, just like the outlets gain power when power is put to the system, when we start understanding the wonder and power, now don't walk past this. When we start understanding and gaining understanding of the power of grace and we start becoming gracified, we start living differently, acting differently, prioritizing differently. We start doing all things differently. And my question today is, are you living a, grace, a graceified life? Now, now, we want to look today at a man who lived a graceified life. Because you might say, what does that... I really think we need this lesson today. And what does a graceified look like? You know, Dwayne, about two years ago, you sure started talking a lot about grace. And yeah, probably till I die, you're going to keep hearing a lot about grace because it's so central to everything that we are. It's so important we understand what God's grace, how it empowers us to live and to do life as we ought to, should, and want to. How do we become graceified? Well, Moses was a man who was gracified. Moses was a man who was gracified. Now, Moses' life is very unique. And I think you know this, but let me go and share it with you. If you take Moses and the first 40 years of his life, really, besides maybe the first five to seven years, but the rest of the first 40 years, he lived in the house of Pharaoh. And he was given the most, most valuable education that there could be, but also he grew accustomed to wealth and power and authority um, and all of those things. And frankly, you know, in Scripture, Egypt often represents the world. So he was probably given every opportunity to enjoy the pleasures of the world for forty years. And then God spoke to his heart, okay, and he's really kind of, frankly, thrown out of Egypt. And guess what happens for the next forty years? Forty more years. He goes to the backside of the desert, lives as a shepherd, and God just basically gleans and calls what he wants to keep in his life and what he wants out of his life. So 40 years, 
Egypt poured into him, and then God cleans him up and coals it out and for the next 40 years, and guess what? Preparing him for the last 40 years. Now, we get impatient when God takes a week, don't we? I, I, God, I prayed about this last week. It's been two days. You, you haven't done anything yet. Well, keep in mind that it was 80 years before God really effectively used Moses. And for the last 40 years of his life, he was a world changer. He was a gracified man who allowed God's, God's power and God's grace to use him to change history. And that's what we want to look at today. Now, we're going to do two things. This sermon, up until about 25 minutes ago, was just changing before my eyes. It changed before my eyes. And it took it, it's still the same scriptures, all of that, but it just took a different turn, and it's so important we hear the word of the Lord today. So we're going to start out in Hebrews chapter 11. So go and take your Bibles there, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to look at starting verse number 23. Okay, we're going to start there, then we're going to jump back real quick to Exodus chapter 2, then we're going back to Hebrews 11 and kind of finish up with some supplemental scriptures there that talk about what does the graceified life look like. And, frankly, how did it happen in Moses' life? And that's the twist and turn I wasn't expecting as I studied for this message. So here we go in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23. And it starts with this. It's not on your... Well, I don't think it's on your sermon sheet. I can't even remember what I put on that sermon sheet besides scriptures. All right? But graceified. What does a graceified person do? A graceified person is, lives out a godly legacy. A graceified person lives out a godly legacy. Now, if you are a parent today, and if you are a grandparent today particularly, or if you have influence on people in your life as a teacher, um, as a police officer, as an individual in our community, and that's about all of us really, then this part is really, really important. In fact, it's probably the core part of the message Again, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't expecting that. All right, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23 says this. By faith, now remember, faith and grace are married together. Faith and grace are married together. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So grace and faith are married together. By faith, after Moses was born, he was hidden by his parents for three months. He was hidden by his parents for three months. Now, you know the story, but I want to make sure in case someone's here and doesn't know the story. You know, by this time, the children of Israel had been in slavery for, for almost 400 years. They went in, they went in, and things were great. The circumstances were good. Uh, Joseph, one of the patriarchs, was there, and it was just a good thing. It was a good deal. He was second command. The Jews were looked upon him with great favor. It was good. And then after Joseph died and Pharaoh's changed out, circumstances went south. And now the people of Israel, who are really just a big old glob of people, were, were you know, treated as slaves. They were slaves in this situation. And so because the Israelites, these group of Hebrews, had gotten so multiplied so much and so powerful, the, the Egyptians became fearful. And so the king issued a command that said this. Okay, if a girl is born... If a girl is born, she can live. But if a male is born, I want you to kill him. And they have various ways of doing that. One, throwing him into the crocodiles in the Nile River. 
So when Moses was born as a male, his life was in great danger. And so his mom and dad had to find a way to protect him. And what they did was for three months, they hid him. Now that worked again for three months, but it became more and more difficult to do. But the first take home I want to give you, again, if you are a mom or a dad and if you're like me and I have grandchildren, I'm sorry, I have grown children and grandchildren, but my grown children, my time of influence is still there, but it's much, 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 much less. But if you have younger children still in your household, your time of influence is still very active. But mom, grandmoms and granddads, I want you to get this. We don't lose our influence. You know, you may not be able to influence your grown children, but you can impact your grandchildren in a very, very big way. And so, so really the story of Moses begins not with Moses, but with his parents, because his parents also lived gracified lives. So the king was going to destroy Moses, and they hid him for three months. And so what had to happen was he, they wanted to protect him. So what happened was they came up with a different way to do that. Moms and dads, grandparents, hear me. We need to protect our children and our grandchildren. Now, you need to let that soak in. You need to protect your children and your grandchildren today. Because we live in a culture that will consume them if you allow that to happen. We all know the horror stories of, of Internet uh, pedophiles. We know those kind of stories. But there is just a world culture. If you are a believer today, you need to understand there is a world culture out there that will consume your child if you let them do that. And when they grow up, they will not be God followers. They will be world followers. So, so you must understand that we need to have a concerted effort to protect our children and our grandchildren. We have to do that. It has to be a high priority. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 2, and I want you to see something that happens because if we just read right here, by faith, he was hidden by his parents for three months, you kind of go, well, what could mom and dad do in three months? And the answer is probably not a lot because the clock is ticking. They've got a very short time to pour God into Moses. And I guess you need to understand that too. Moms and dads, grandparents, you need to understand the clock is ticking. You've really got a short time to pour God into your kids. I mean, at best, you really probably have until about age 10 or 12 because by then, a lot of the God stuff that they're going to own for the rest of their lives is already beginning to set in concrete. Not saying God can't do miracles because He does. But by the time they're 10 or 12, old enough to understand right and wrong, okay, then a lot of what they believe about God is beginning to set up like concrete. So your clock is ticking. That's why you've got to be, you've got to be concerted in your efforts to share God into their lives. You've got to be concerted in your efforts to pour God. Dwayne, is there time for other things? Like, is there time for tumbling? Yeah. Is there time for sports? Absolutely. But if you're not spending equal amounts of time pouring God into them, something's not going to work out for you. I'm just telling you the truth. 
there is a world out there who wants your children, and you have a ticking bomb on your hands. You have a limited time to pour God into their lives, their formative lives. I've heard it said that by the time of three to five years old, something like 70% of a child's personality has already been set. So you've got a limited time. So let's go back then and see, how is it that, that things happened, that Moses had this influence? How did he become gracified in such a short period of time? Well, in Exodus chapter 2, the Bible says, and it starts with a story like you just heard in Hebrews, a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. Let me just pause there because that, that part of the scripture is in Hebrews 11 and it's also here. And you need to mark this down. They saw that he was a beautiful child. They saw that he was a special child. Now, mom and dad, I'm going to help you here. You need to understand that every child is a gift from the Lord. Every child is a gift from the Lord. And when they don't behave exactly like you want, or they're not as talented, or not as committed, not this or not that, and you wish this and you wish that, listen, they are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. So you've got to understand that if God entrusted a child, whether a special needs child, whether, I'm going to put this in quotes, watch, whether they're a normal child, whether a child excels in school or doesn't excel in school, every child is a beautiful child and they are to be treasured by you treasured by you you've heard this scripture so many times in psalm 139:14 the psalmist says i will praise you because i have been remarkably and wonderfully made your children were crafted by God. Let me say it again. Your children were crafted by God, and they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Treat them as the treasures that they are. Treat. Don't you dare. Don't you dare look at another mom and dad and say, I wish my child was like them. God entrusted you with these children, and God wired them and made them fearfully and wonderfully, and we need to honor that. I love that. You know I love that scripture. And there's the, the next one. I just, I just love this. I love it for me. But I also love it because of today. And our children and grandchildren. You know the Bible says. And this is true for every believer. And notice what I said believer. Once a child grows and trusts Christ. It's true for them. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. We are God's workmanship. You know, the word masterpiece, again, that's a literal translation from the Greek. That's not a play on words. When it says we are God's masterpiece, I think about the Mona Lisa hanging in the Louvre, I think it is, in, in Paris, you know. And that's a nice thought. But you know what also I just, I, I just love? You know, I, I think about what, you know, these cars that Rod does, you know. And I'm amazed how he takes a piece of junk, literally. And he and his men, really his men, he'll tell you that, his his craftsmen take those cars and turn them into masterpieces. That's a beautiful picture. I, I sit there and I, and I go to a home or something and there's a beautiful table. And, and I go, well, where did you buy that? And the husband will speak up or the wife will speak up and say, oh, no, no, we didn't buy that. We made that. 
And to see the texture of the wood and the way it's put together, it's a beautiful picture, again, of a masterpiece. So don't only think the, the, the Mona Lisa, don't only think a car, don't only think a piece of furniture. You are, as a believer in Christ, you are God's masterpiece. And you know what? Once your children trust Christ, that becomes true of them. True of them. And the reason I say a believer, because look what follows. For we are all God's masterpiece. He has created us anew. See, the verse is talking about people who are born again. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. We can do the things that He planned for us a long time ago. See, God has a plan, mom and dad and grandparents, for you. He has a plan for you. Why have you ever thought about that? I wonder if you're 20 years into a career and you never thought, is this what God wanted me to do? Was I created for this? Well, we probably can't reverse that one, but you know what we can do? As God has entrusted children to us, would you be bold enough today to stop praying, God, this is what I want for my child, and say, God, this is what, I want. You know, this is what you want for my child? See, I, I like it because Moses' parents faced a crucial question. They had to ask themselves this question, and I want you to ask it today. Are we raising potential millionaires or potential world changers? See, if, if Miriam's prayer for her son was to be a millionaire, the day he walked into to Pharaoh's palace, success. He was going to be one of the wealthiest people in the world as soon as the basket was opened and he went to the palace. Are we raising potential millionaires? Nothing wrong with being a millionaire. Nothing wrong with our kids being a millionaire. But are we raising potential millionaires or world changers? I'm telling you, Moses' parents didn't seek a millionaire. They sought a world changer. And they poured into Moses' life. But I'm going to head the story just a little bit because how did that happen in such a short time? Well, I, we, we need to find out. Well, when she could no, verse 3, when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him and dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, um, put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister, Miriam, stood afar off to know what would, what would be done for him. Well, verse 5, then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. You all think this is an accident? Uh-uh. God's got this one, okay? The, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. This is just incredible. And when she... Now, watch this. I like this part. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the child wept. You think that's an accident? You know, I think God did. God took a pin and stuck him in the bud. <laughs> said, now it's time, Moses, for you to cut loose. You may say that you have a problem talking later on, but now's the time to cry. And he's just wailing. Well, what happened then? All them jeans, them woman jeans and mama jeans kicked in with, with Pharaoh's daughter here. All right? So she had compassion on him and said, she knew who it was. This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, she, now remember this is Miriam, this is Moses' sister. Said, so then the sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from among the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Isn't that cool? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go, 
So the maiden went and called the child's mother, Moses' mother, who was, uh, was uh, yeah, you know who it was. All right. And, and verse number nine. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. I will give you money. So the woman took the child and nursed him. How incredible is that? Child's in the bulrushes, goes down, open the basket, baby cries. Pharaoh's daughter has compassion. Miriam steps up and says, hey, you know, do you want me to go find somebody? Yeah, go find someone. Goes and get her mom, Moses' mom, comes, and Moses' mom takes the child and nurses it. Now watch this. This is the key part. And the child, verse 10, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Now, I know when today's culture, if you nurse a child about a year, that's maybe 12, 14 months, that's probably about as long as you would nurse a child. It was not uncommon in this culture to nurse a child for five to seven years. Five to seven years. Aren't you glad you didn't live back then? Now, get this. So it wasn't mama and daddy pouring into Moses for three months. It was mama and daddy pouring into Moses for five to seven years. And you can mark it down. In those years, Moses, don't forget, you're a Hebrew. Moses, don't forget that you serve the God of Jacob. Don't forget that God has been faithful. Don't forget the story of Joseph. Don't forget the story of Abraham. And for five to seven years, they poured in and they poured in and they poured in to the life of Moses. And there came a time when they had to let him go. This is fixing to be really good. And when the time came to let him go, Moses was ready because mom and dad poured into his life. There's going to come a time when you have to let your children go. The question is, will they be ready? The question is, will they be ready? Because they will have in them what you pour in them. What values, what's important, the priorities, the vision, what vision they have, worldview, what worldview they have, is what you're going to pour into them. And they're going to go face that world out there with whatever you pour into them. That's why you've got to understand something. The clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. And the younger you pour into them, the more formative they are. You know, there's a tree, Laverne, in your front yard. And you had a beautiful tree there. And I can't remember if lightning struck it or wind blew it down. But it died. And your son Danny cut that tree down and dug up the stump or had somebody do it. And he planted another tree in that place. Am I right? And that tree is not just a little tree anymore, is it? It's about this big around, and it's very tall. Now, when Danny planted that tree in the front yard, he could tie ropes to it to make sure it grew straight. But guess what? Can't do that now. Can't do that now because the tree is formed. So, if you are the parents of younger children today, it, the clock is ticking. The, you have fertile ground to pour into your children's life. Make sure. And I'm not just talking about bring them to church. I mean, live it, 
breathe it, speak it, eat it. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Pour it into their lives. And then when Proverbs 2, 20, 22, 6, tramp a child the way they shall go, and when he's older, will not depart from it. Not a promise, but a principle that you have done everything you can to prepare them to live a Christian life in the future. So, so Moses was the man. He was gracified, not by accident. He was gracified because mom and dad were gracified and they poured grace into his life. Pour grace into your children's lives. Make sure they understand the priority that God is in your life and should be in their life. So now, back to Hebrews chapter 11. How about that? That clock says, you better move on, preacher. By faith, after Moses was born, he was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they didn't fear the king's edict, the king's command. Now, what was the king's command? You remember? The king's command was kill the babies. Why didn't they? Because they didn't fear the king. They feared God more. They didn't fear the king. They feared God more. Now, in the culture that we live in today... How popular will it be if you make sure that your children are raised in a Christian environment? How important is it that when people see your actions and what you do and your priorities, then all of a sudden it's God, God, God. Do you think they're going to understand? Probably not. Man, are you like eat up with this Jesus stuff? Are you like one of them Jesus freak people? Am I right? How much pressure have y'all felt from coaches that say, if your kid's not there, you know this, don't you? If you're not there at this practice, you know, I'm calling a special practice on Sunday morning. If you're not there for that practice, you don't start. You know that pressure? And you say, nope, we're going to do the God thing. Well, what kind of parent are you? Don't you care about your kids? Yes, I do. (laughs) I care enough to make sure they understand how important God is. That's how important it is. So, they didn't fear the king. Isaiah 43, 1, listen to this. But now, this is what the Lord says. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. 1 Corinthians six ten says, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Fear not, because I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. Shoot that thing. Reckon how valuable that is. Yeah. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. If you don't teach your children nothing else, you show them the way of redemption. You let them know that God knows their name and that by grace they can be His. Well, let's get on to the next part of the story. In verse number 24 in Hebrews chapter 11, we see gracified people recognize the value of knowing Christ. Now, this is where you want to get. Now, as mamas and daddies and grandchildren, uh, grandparents and, you know, grandmoms and granddads, and as believers, this is where we want to get. We want to get to the point where we recognize the value of knowing Christ. And we want to pour that into our children. We want our kids to understand the value of knowing Christ. Moses got it. Watch this. This is just good. Verse number 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up. Now, remember now, he's now spent 40 years. Well, 30, 38 years. 
in the house of Pharaoh. Whatever he wanted, he could have. Whatever he spoke was law. The best education possible. All of that been poured into him. You got that? Now watch. When he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So 40 years, how long? Four decades. For four decades. And at a point in his life, when the time came, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now watch this. And chose to suffer. It's not like he said, well, I'm going to move in the palace and move to a little smaller place. I'm going to downsize. I'm going to sell my Maserati and get myself a Buick. It's not like that at all. He said, I refuse to be called the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and I choose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. See, if we do this right as believers, and, but as parents, if we do it right, we teach our children to look through the lens of a graceified life. We, we teach our children that everything they view in life is looked through the lens of God's grace. It changes everything. It changes everything. You know, again, if I put on my sunglasses, I happen to have a pair of gray lens, and no matter what it is I'm looking at, now it still may be green or whatever, but I'm looking through the filter of that gray lens. It's polarized. It takes out the glare. Everything I see has been deglared because of the polarized lens. So if we do it right, when our kids... Reach that point. They refuse to be identified with the, with the world, but chooses to be recognized with God and with Christ. And, and notice the choice was there. He, he saw the eternal versus the temporal. So when it came time to choose, Moses was ready to choose wisely. Now, can we be honest? Can we? Can, can you handle honesty? If it came down to your child being one of those millionaires, real successful, real popular, real powerful, or being on the mission field somewhere, what would you wish for them? What would you wish? If your child walked in tomorrow and you've got big plans for them, and they said, Mom, Dad, I really feel like God's calling me to serve Him somewhere else. Would you be okay with that? Could you support that? Because that's what happened. Moses had it made. In our, in our world today, we go, I'm so proud of my son. He lives in Pharaoh's palace. He's got everything. Mom, Dad, I'm selling it all. I'm going to follow Jesus. Wow. Wow. Is that a different view or what? And how did Moses do that? Those five to seven years. See, now listen to what I'm going to say. It's important. He didn't discover his identity. He rediscovered his identity. He had the identity instilled when he was five to seven years old. 
Okay? He had that instilled in him. But at 40 years old, he rediscovered, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a person of God. And that led him to choose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. Now, it even gets crazier. Look at verse 26. For he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater than the wealth, than the treasures of Egypt. Can I read it again? For he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He chose and said, the reproach of Christ is greater wealth than anything Pharaoh can give me. Notice he didn't say the benefits. Because, you know, we live in a, a gospel-rich world where, you know, just follow Jesus and everyone wears, wears the best labels and you got the best of cards uh, and you live in the best of house. No. He considered the reproach, identifying the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than all the wealth of Egypt. That's powerful, folks. Can we wish that for our children? Because God does. God does. He goes on in Matthew chapter 13, verse 45. Listen to what Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. He bought it. Moses saw the great pearl of following God and said, all the wealth of Egypt is not worth this one pearl. Oh, that we could raise generations of people who say that God is worth it all and more and more. Paul said it this way, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surprise, surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom's sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. Wow. How about that? See, Moses turned out the way he did because his parents were gracified. He still had to make his own choice. He had to make his own choice. At age 40, he had to make his own choice. But the groundwork had been laid. That's Jim Elliott's story, 1956, I think. Ecuador leaves it all behind, goes down on the beach and is martyred for the cause of Christ. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. William Borden, heir of great wealth, forsakes it all, goes on his way to the mission field, I can't remember where, gets meningitis, and dies before he even gets there. And people said, what a tragedy. No, what a victory. What a victory. We have friends who have given up lucrative careers and now serve on the mission field in Central Asia. Could have stayed here and had a pretty great life. Instead, they're serving the king and having a really great life. But it comes at sacrifice. So moms and dads, like I say, trust me, 
this it must be from God because this was a total different direction as I stayed last night and this morning. This really, I think, is God's message for today. I don't know how it's received, but I'm just telling you, we have no greater obligation. More important than your titles and more important than providing the best cars and clothes for your family, more important than living the best address in town, the most important thing is this. Here they are. Are you ready? God, marriage, and children. That's it. God first, your wife second, and your children third. More important than all the titles and all the money and all the things you can buy and give and do is you investing in your life and the children. And not just investing in life for your children, but investing for the cause of Christ. Grandma and Grandpa, oh, we have an obligation. We have an obligation to pour into our grandchildren, to help our children, and to pour into our grandchildren. Now, I will tell you this. There's going to be no greater reward. There will be no greater reward. Not only here, but there. 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 I know God's going to one day judge me for my duties as a pastor. The judgment seat of Christ is real. And I'm not going to be judged for the penalty of my sin. That's taken care of. But I'm going to give an account of what kind of pastor I was. I understand that. But I ought to be understanding also that God's going to want to know, Dwayne, what kind of daddy were you? Were you there for your children? Did you, did you pray with them? Did you pour Jesus into their lives? And that is important. And that is great. If we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, at the top of the list ought to be our seriousness and our responsibilities as parents and grandchildren. Because, hey, living in your house might be the next Moses. You don't know. You don't know. You look at your child and go, I don't know what's going to happen with him. He might be the next Billy Graham. She might be the next Lottie Moon. We don't know. But we have to treat each child as a masterpiece because that's what they are. And God has great plans for them. Let's pray. Well, Father, I have to say thank you for today because this had to be you. And I want to pray. In Jesus' name, I want to pray that you will take and seal your word today. Oh, I know the evil one. He'll want to take it and steal it. Just like the birds took the seed on the rocky path. But I pray against that right now. I want to pray that that the word fell today on good hearts and that it will take root. I want to pray for every mom and dad, grandparent. And Father, we have folks that may not even have a physical child, but they have influence. And they've got that obligation also. In fact, each one of us have that obligation. So I want to pray, Father, that we'll do all that we can to pour God into the lives of those people that we know and that we influence. Seal it in our hearts. Father, I want to pray for every child here today, the very youngest, and those who are all well on their path of life. I want to pray, Father, that they will be able to hear your voice. Somehow you spoke to Moses at age 40, and you reminded him of his upbringing. And he was called back. He re-identified with the God of his fathers. I want to pray that for the students and children here today, 
May we so pour Christ in their lives. May we so pour grace into their lives. May we so pour God into their lives that when they do grow older, that, Father, that they will return or never leave their paths. So have your way today. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.